Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to World Spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions with your host, Reverend Paul John Roach. So hello and welcome to World Spirituality on the Unity Online Radio Network. I'm your host, Paul John Roach, coming to you from Taos, New Mexico. I'm up on in the mountains on vacation looking out on this beautiful trout stream and the mountains beyond with the aspens and the Engelman spruces. And it's a gorgeous place to be, lovely place to do a show. Um, today we continue our exploration of grief and transition by welcoming author, clinical social worker, lay Buddhist chaplain, and co-founder of the Boston nonprofit Facing Cancer Together, Claire B. Willis. So we welcome her to the show. And she's written an excellent book called Opening to Grief, Finding Your Way from Loss to Peace. And her co-author is um, not with us today, but a co-author is Marnie Crawford, Samuelson, and she's a photographer, filmmaker, and storyteller. So it's wonderful, though, to have uh, Claire with, with me today. So welcome, Claire. Glad you're with us. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. You know, I've, I, I've done four, I'm going to do four shows in a, pretty much in a row on grief, whether grief for pets or grief for people that have passed, or just grief in general, you know, that life is full of transition isn't it and change it's it it's an impermanent place but you know every single time i have somebody on they they bring their own unique flavor to this particular subject and so i know from reading your book that you have a particular flavor and i must admit i really liked reading this book I, you said that uh, it's um it's money that's the wordsmith but I, I love the way it was put together uh, not a, not a word wasted it's uh it's it's a fairly slim volume, but it, co- it covers so much ground very eloquently. Thank you. I appreciate your saying that um, because one one of the things that that we wanted was for people when they read the book to feel less alone. And a lot of the people that endorsed the book said that it felt like a companion in grief. And I love that that word recurred among the endorsers because that was a big part of it because I think grief can be such a lonely experience so that people can read it and feel someone else has been down this road and they're not alone was really uh, it was really like what we wanted most to convey so I'm so happy to to find that and yeah yeah I agree with that um you know you start off the book with uh talking about COVID-19 you know how apropos books on grief are right now because of the various kinds of grief we're dealing with, you know, dealing with the 
the pandemic, but also the, the, the things that the pandemic has brought forth, right? And people have talked about this is an opportunity for a reset, uh, a look anew at things, you know, and not do the same old thing over and over again. I don't know if that's going to happen because it seems like people just want to rush back to the way it was. But I don't think you'll ever quite go back, right? It's it's going to be a new normal. And I, I think that's true with grief in general. You, you, it's never the same again, right? You, you, you can't reset it and go back to the way it was. It's a, It's a whole new way of looking at things. I think that's right. I think we can't unknow what we know. And I think while while COVID brought a lot of particular losses into people's lives, for sure, the other thing it did, which I think is just worth mentioning, is that it opened up old losses people had that they hadn't thoroughly grieved. And so people found themselves often thinking about people from their past they'd lost or 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 whatever variety of losses they've experienced sort of raised their their head. And I think it, it's, a, it's powerful because if we don't grieve our losses as they co-occur, they come back to us in other forms later. So mm-hmm. COVID has exposed what we haven't completed in ourselves as well as brought with it a lot of uh, other losses and it was really a pandemic of of certainly of a lethal virus but it was also a pandemic of fear and a pandemic of grief yes absolutely and as you say it can come back you know emotionally and physically right sometimes we can uh, have illnesses come if we don't deal with and work through these these issues that we might have I, for me the loss was the remembering life without distraction, you know, that the COVID was a gift in the sense it gave us time to be apart and not interact with people. And I realized how much I distract myself with events and, and happenings and whatnot and, and maybe lose out on, on being still, you know, then COVID gave me the gift of being still. So that that was a, a, a blessing within the the trauma, if you like. And I, I think that's true of grief, isn't it? Always comes with a blessing, right? Um, I think it does if we if we are able to sit with our grief. And um, one of the things that I, I wish I had been able to include in the book, which I, I didn't because I hadn't came across these come across these words before, but when the book comes out in paperback, I'm going to certainly have these words in the book. There's an author named Jamie Anderson who wrote these words about grief, which I really love, and I want to just read them. It's very short. He, she writes, grief, I have learned, is really just love. All that unspent love gathers up in the corners of your eyes, the lump in your throat, and in that hollow part of your chest. Grief is just love with no place to go. And I love this definition of grief because it becomes less something to get over, but more something we learn to carry. And when we can carry grief with us and let it shape and inform our life, we are more accessible to one another and we're more accessible to ourselves. Yes. Yeah, that's powerful stuff. I don't want to rush. Isn't to that the beautiful? It is. It's very beautiful. I don't want to rush to the end of the book, but there's a similar idea there at the end where you talk about there's a difference between um, moving forward and moving on, right? Yeah. Uh, yes. We, we, you know, moving on implies well, I've overcome that now, and uh, that's right. And I don't have to worry about it anymore, and everything's great, and 
And that's not the case because you're always carrying this with you. In, and it's it's part of the flavor of who you are, right? It's it, well, it's uniquely it's, you. Um, and so you're moving like forward can, with it. Yeah, Exactly. It's like we can't unknow what we've been through. And then the question becomes, how can we carry it in a meaningful way that actually we use that heartbreak to enrich our life and to connect more easily with people. I mean, one of the things, and you probably know this as well as I do, or even better, that when you lose somebody you love, one of the things that I hear a lot is that people will say, I've lost friends. I, friends I thought were going to be there have disappeared. And people I hardly knew have, have appeared in my life. I don't understand it. And I think our capacity to be with our own grief will allow us to be with the grief of others. If we aren't familiar with grief in our own hearts and beings and minds and, and bodies, then it's very hard to tolerate the expression of it in other people because we don't want to deal with it. So mm-hmm. becoming, letting it become a companion or a friend and letting it create a tenderness inside of us makes us much more accessible to other people and to ourselves in loving ways. Now, part of it is moving beyond uh, superficial understanding and going a little deeper. And you've got a wonderful poem, uh, an excerpt from a poem by David White um, along those uh, lines, right? Would you like to read it? I think it's on page six of the book. Yes, I'm happy to read it. Yes, we use poetry a lot in the book because it's, 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 accesses, we get access to the heart very directly. This is a poem by David White called The Well of Grief. Those who will not slip beneath the still surface on the well of grief, turning down through its black water to the place we cannot breathe, will never know the source from which we drink, the secret water, cold and clear, nor find in the darkness glimmering the small round coins thrown by those who wished for something else. Ooh, that, that last line really gives you chills, you know? It's it's mm. a beautiful poem. It's a beautiful poem. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm yeah, so glad really I'm is. so glad you asked me to read it. I haven't read that in a long time. I love that poem. Yeah, there's something about um, poetry that's different than than prose because there's some way it goes right it just carves away right into your heart. You know, it's very direct. Absolutely. And it says things that you can't say, you know, it, it's, uh, it's like music. It, it conveys something beyond the intellect, beyond just That's right. thought, yeah. you know, it takes you into an intuitive sense. Um, That's right. And That's I should right. say to our readers, I should say to our readers, there's a, a, a collection of poems in the back of the book uh, for, that you can reference if you, if you'd like it, poems around the themes of loss and grief and the, uh, so that's a good resource yeah. too, but there are quite a few sprinkled in the in the book, like like this particular one. And you yeah. know, to be honest about the the sadness too, you know, we, we we may have thrown that coin in, you know, hoping that it didn't work out the way it did. Um, but that's part of life, you know. And and to be honest about that, to face it, you know, to and not deny it, is part of the healing. It seems to me, you know, that's how we move through. Not in denial about it, um, uh, but it's tough. It's tough to do that to go to go into that. Um, you know, I, I shared in the previous show. You know, I lost my first wife to breast cancer, and um, my goodness, you know, your whole life shifts because you think 
this person is going to be your life partner for life um hence the name but uh, it doesn't happen like that you know and, and yet right. so many wonderful things have have come from that and a whole shift in my life but not because i've jettisoned her but because she's still with me in so many ways in fact i had a dream about her the other night um but my current wife you know is totally open to that because she sees that that's part of who i am you know and, and she loves me for the whole of me not not just for me loving her today and um and i i think that's wonderful when you can do that because that's true companionship it, it is because the people we love when they die they don't our relationship with them continues it just has a different form and so to, to cut them out of our life isn't really possible and a good relationship includes all the people we've loved and lost all parts of ourselves like that so that's really important you know speaking of a transparency i want to just tell you a little story that happened this morning i have a writing group i facilitate and most of the people in the group have stage four cancer and one woman in the group has decided in the last six weeks to stop treatment and she said you know i'm 82 and i'm ready to die and each week she comes in and she tells us what her life is like having made that decision and how people are coming to say goodbye to her and people are telling her how much they love her and and how she's never felt so well held and fortunately she's not struggling with pain and then today she said you know i'm not feeling so happy about what i'm doing i i know it's the right thing but i i just want you to know that i'm getting a little bit more um despairing and concerned and it her her transparency and her openness and her willingness to show up on the screen each week and tell mm. us about her dying has been an experience i've never had anybody I've never known anybody to do this with the articulation and the clarity. And I feel like she's walking everybody in the group home. She's giving them yes. the courage to walk home because of her transparency and her honesty. It's been mm -hmm. so beautiful. So beautiful. You know, also at that time, you know, there's this huge um, force that moves through you and, and loved ones to keep going, you know, keep hoping, trying things and, you know, more therapy, more this, that, and the other. To say, no, I don't need, I don't want any more is, is hard, you know, because it goes against um, this survival instinct we all have. It's like, we've got to keep trying. I know I went through that with my, with my late wife. And, you know, it comes a time when that's not helpful anymore. And, and it's very courageous, okay. I think, to say, you know, it, it's time for me to let go and, um, you know, let it play out. And uh, it, it usually, yeah. in my experience as a minister, you know, usually there's a moment, isn't there, where all the struggle ends and there's there's a peaceful right. recognition and acceptance that comes. I mean, are you, that's I know exactly what work. she said. She that's exactly right. what she said. She said, "I'm done with the medical. I'm done considering clinical trials. I'm done with medical appointments." And she said, "There's a peace I haven't felt since I got cancer." that's come over me yes. with this decision. And mm. it was beautiful just to watch these different stages that she's going through and so wants to share them with us. It's really, it's very beautiful. So. Another thing that I should tell the listeners today too is that uh, throughout the book, there's various techniques um, or practices that one can use. And then in, 
the further section later in the book, um, the authors go into more detail about those practices. And so there's very simple practices that some of us who've been in new thought for a while or in, in alternative spiritualities will be familiar with. Um, but very important techniques. Uh, and one of the ones you use a lot for in the book is the breath, right? Because the yeah. breath uh, cannot be done in the past or the future, right? You can only you can only breathe in the now. And, and uh, this brings us into this moment, which is, of course, is truly the the only moment we have, right, actually. Well, I think when we're sick or when we're dying or when we're grieving, it's very easy to uh, ruminate about the past and it's easy to catastrophize about the future because our future has been shattered and there's so much unknown. And by bringing our awareness to the breath and just noticing it, we are forced to be in the present. Research has actually shown, and you'll probably relate to this, that 50% of our thinking is in the future. 40% of our thinking is in the past. And on a very good day, we are 10% where we are. And one of the things that's helpful is by anchoring our awareness in the breath, we stay in the moment and we can begin to stop these obsessive loops that we can go into either ruminating about what was or catastrophizing about what might be, neither of which is what's happening. So we're not where we are, and the breath becomes a mechanism not only for keeping us present, but it also is a mechanism for activating um, a sense of relaxation in our body because when we're tense, we don't breathe. And by bringing our awareness to our breath, our breath begins to lengthen and deepen, and we will instinctively become more relaxed. And when we're tense, it's very hard to be compassionate. So a compassionate mind and heart usually can emerge from a body that's relaxed. So it's really a gift to ourselves on many levels. And here's the good news, folks, because we may say, oh, my goodness, I'm spending all my time in the future or the past. But all that time you're spending, you're still in the now. You know, it's you in the now thinking about the past. And if you can remember that and notice right now, oh, look at me, I'm I'm obsessing about the past or worrying about the future. It's just the recognition, the witnessing of that is bringing yourself back to the now, right? So it's not a question of I got to be in the now all the time. No, you can be ruminating on the past if you want, if that's what you have to do. But remember what you're doing, you know, in, in this particular now moment, I'm 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 giving it up to the past, and uh, it's quite freeing, actually. I found because the moment you recognize it, right, you you own it. Um, it less, right. has less power over you, and you can begin to change it. So um, right. this for me is good news, right? Yeah, it's good news for all of us. <laughs> yes, for sure, it's very good news. We do. We it's it, it's it's always comforting to know we do have some agency when so much of our life feels like it's out of control. And certainly yes. when we've lost someone we love, our life can feel like it's spinning completely out of control, completely. Well, you know, last week, um, you know, we talked about people trying to help while you're going through grief, you know, and I'm sorry for your loss. And, and it doesn't really help to you for people to say things like that because it drives you nuts. Um, and, it, and it's, it it's so 
it's so difficult though to to talk about grief in ways that are appropriate right uh, you know you talk about it the, the grief is an invitation to grow but you know for those that in the midst of grief you tell them oh this is an invitation to grow you know they want to hit you or something you know um, because this doesn't seem like that but of course it's true you know it is a, an invitation to grow but it has well, to be understood in a very subtle careful way right you know, I, I'm really glad you're saying this because, yes, it's an invitation to grow, but not when you first experience a loss. When you first experience mm-hmm. a loss, the loss is the ceiling, the walls, the rug, the furniture. It's everything you see in a room. It's it's all-consuming. And then with the passage of time, as we fill in more resources in our life and more time between that loss and the present moment, it becomes, the room becomes, has, begins to have some color in it. One of the great analogies that I read, and this isn't my idea, but I, it's worth repeating, is that losses, uh, the initial loss is like breaking a bone. You break a bone and it's, there's a searing pain. Then you go and you have it set, you go in a cast, you get some physical therapy, and you're able to walk again. But on rainy days, that bone will ache. So it's it's a bit like grief is a bit like that. It diminishes in intensity, frequency, and duration over time, and we can't we can't talk about it as an opportunity to grow when someone's in the throes of it. All we can do is help them be with it and ask them questions like, "Tell me more about the man you loved and lost, or what are some of your favorite memories, or." What is most difficult? These these invitational questions that ask people to bring their grief forward are what helps people hold and be with their grief. When we say, I'm sorry for your loss, it's like, it's such a platitude. It doesn't mean anything to somebody. But when we can offer our presence and sit with someone and bear their sorrow with them and not try and fix it, that's a gift. And that's what helps people um, hold their grief and eventually let it transform them. But that's down the road. One of your chapters is about kindness. And and the first kindness is to be kind to yourself, right? During this difficult time, we tend to beat up on ourselves. There's there's all kind of conflicting emotions. Um, Obviously, there's grief, but there's also shock and hurt and and guilt and anger and all, you know, all kinds of things come up and we can be very harsh on ourselves. Um, why is this happening? You know, why did God betray me, etc.? There's all kinds of things. And, and to be kind is crucially important, right? To, to take it easy, not, not to beat up on yourself. You know, one of the reasons we put kindness as the first chapter very deliberately because there are so many models of grief that are floating around that that tell you or suggest how grief should move. And one of the things that I hear in my practice and in my bereavement groups a lot is, am I doing it right? Or I feel like I'm going backwards. I lost it today. Or um, why is this still hurting? People have ideas about the way grief should be, that some of which came from their childhood and probably their family stories their family teachings, and some came from what we've read. And I think often Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's work has been misunderstood because 
those stages of grief were meant for people who were dying. They weren't meant for people who were grieving and they've been overlaid. But one of the things that I want to just mention here is here's a a scenario I hear a lot. I was walking down the aisle in the supermarket and I saw a can of tuna fish and all of a sudden I lost it and I just started to sob because that was my husband's favorite fish or whatever. And I'll say to someone, you didn't lose it. You had a moment of getting it, of grasping Mm -hmm. the full catastrophe of the loss. That doesn't mean you're going backwards. Grief is not linear. It's backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards. But what you experienced was something that's in the literature is called a sudden temporary upsurge of grief. There's an acronym called STUG. And it's it's what happens when we are confronted with a scent or a visual memory or a sound or a song that takes us back as if it just happened. It's always temporary. It's always un, un, unanticipated. And trusting it, it will disappear. It doesn't mean you're going backwards. Everybody has these, but a lot of people don't talk about them. And so part of what we wanted to do in writing this book was to normalize the wide range of experiences that people have grieving and not limit it to sorrow and sadness. The grief can express itself through anger and rage and irritability, impatience, loneliness, anxiety. Fear is a big one. Depression, it has as many faces as there are people who are grieving. It's not just sorrow, which I think is what most people think of. And you hear, and I'm sure you hear this in your work, there's a lot of uh, conflict that can happen in families when uh, people are grieving differently because one person will say, my sister's not grieving, she doesn't seem to care. Well, her grief probably looks different than yours. You know, and we don't recognize the different faces of grief. This is so true, and I, I think of my daughter. You know, she she approached that thing completely differently from me, but you know, had this equally valid way of of approaching it. Right, you know, it's just very different. And um, yeah, and that, that's so important. To allow that to happen. Yeah, that's beautiful. What you just said, different and equally valid. It's that's so beautiful. I'm glad you said that because it's exactly the way we need to think about it and not judge each other for grieving differently. We're moving towards the end of the first segment and I don't want to start a new theme here, but I I do want to talk briefly and we can talk about it more in the second segment. Another one of the themes that goes through the book is meta practice or loving kindness practice, which is originally from, you know, Theravada Buddhism, but now is uh, widely practiced in, in the West, right? And again, yeah. that's a powerful practice of, of yeah. uh, being uh, generous and kind, not just to ourselves, but to all beings. And uh, it, it helps us relax into the fact that we're not alone. We'll come back after the break, after the break and talk about those things. Join us then. Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. 
Each prayer and meditation on Positive Prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open Positive Prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. We now return to World Spirituality with Reverend Paul John Roach. So welcome back to today's show. I'm with Claire B. Willis. We're talking about her book that she co-authored with Marnie Crawford Samuelson. It's called Opening to Grief, Finding Your Way from Lost to Peace. It's an excellent guidebook. It has uh, many reference points to deeper practices uh, and poems you might use, a selected bibliography of books that can be useful. Plus, it lays out in in a very uh, cogent way um, ways to approach grief. And and so we've discussed some of them already. And I mentioned uh, loving kindness practice. I'm I'm very into uh, Tibetan Buddhism myself. And uh, one of the characteristics of mind according to the Buddhists, uh, is uh, openness, clarity, and unimpededness. And uh, that, that's, that's the nature of mind. The, the truth of the universe is that it's open, it's welcoming, it's, it's clear, it's compassionate, and it's unimpeded, it's generous, uh, it's always giving. And really, that's the basis, isn't it, of the uh, meta practice, is um, opening to that clarity that's... Uh, uh, that and that kindness that's available to us always the loving kindness compassion equanimity um deep deep abiding peace right these are all associated qualities and they're amazing they're amazingly transformative yes we have in in our book um and at the end of each chapter we have this practice called meta which is loving kindness or some people call it which i think is really beautiful a tender friend and it's a way of uh, creating um, aspirations for yourself and for those you love and for the world at large. And so at the end of each chapter, we have these aspirations that relate to the chapter itself. So just to give you a feeling of, of a sense of it in the first chapter, which is about um, being beginning with kindness, the um, meta practice at the end says, may I welcome all my feelings as I grieve. May I allow grief to soften and strengthen my heart. May I hold my sorrow with tenderness and compassion. So each chapter has these at the end. And in the typical traditional practice, we start by extending them to ourselves. Then we extend them to people we love. Then we extend them to people who are what we call neutrals in our life, which may be the mailman, the grocery clerk, um, people that we don't interact with that much, but who are yet in our life and helping to hold our life. And then we send them to people who are a little bit more difficult or troublesome for us. But the concentration of the practice in our book is directing the meta, the loving kindness towards ourselves. So each chapter ends with that and directs it in 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 the way of the the focus of the chapter. So each of the chapters is um, around a practice 
that helps to hold the grief, such as a practice of gratitude or restoring in nature, using art or writing, different using community, different practices. So that's 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 the way we use the meta practice, and it anchors our mind and keeps us kind towards ourselves. It helps to tether our mind and our breath together so that we can stay present sort of as a guardian to our thinking so that we our minds don't run away with negative fearful thoughts right and i love that so opening from that then we've got like you said these practices of uh, you know being grateful um or, or practicing mindfulness or just awareness of the moment um one of my favorites is resting in nature uh and, and the the healing quality of nature uh, that's that's there for us, um, and and you also talk about you know enjoying art of various kinds, even making art. We talked about that last week. You know that we're we're taught somewhere along the line that you know we you, we are not good enough. Uh, you, you know you that's just not a good picture or whatever. And and yet children are so endlessly creative. They don't know good from bad. Oh, they just create. Exactly. Uh, but somehow we were taught, right? And we have to unlearn that, right? And start again. And 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 then and because we're all creative, I believe. Uh, and we and it doesn't have to be painting. It could be music. It could be cooking. It, it could be whatever, right? Everything's a creative process. That's right. But you're so right about that. How many of us lost our confidence in our creative abilities in school. And I think it can sometimes be as subtle as a red mark or a comment on a piece of paper or on something we've drawn where the art teacher comes along and doesn't see what's positive about what we've done. So I think making art, I think, is is a challenge for a lot of people. And one of the things that we do in the book is we talk a lot about the process is what's important. We're less focused on the outcome. And we often, we encourage people to find and make things out of um, and from their loved ones. So it might be fabric, it may be images and pictures, it may be letters, it may be any number of things, but weaving loss into creating something that has meaning for you can be an incredibly healing process especially when language isn't your strong suit not everybody wants to write not everybody wants to talk so using color and fabric and different mediums can often access healing points in our mind and heart that we don't access through more linear you know left-brained activities Yes, and that that to me is crucially important. You know, I like to spend a lot of my time not think. I'm an intellectual uh, <laughs> by nature, but I try to spend a lot of my time not thinking because I, I understand only too well that, you know, it can only take you so far and that you need that intuitive side of you, you know, that other side of your brain, if you like, to to, to be developed in order in order to to reach a, in a deeper place. There's a beautiful poem you have uh, in the chapter on um, restoring in in nature. I'd like to read it. It's by one of my favorite uh, writers, wow. Wendell ba- Wendell Berry, and uh, it's so true. I think you know it doesn't have to be in in a magnificent environment. I happen to be in one right now, but I normally live in Fort Worth, Texas, and 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 yet my my yard and my garden are, are equally beautiful to me. And uh, I think we can find. Uh, solace uh, in nature anywhere we're at, e- even in a, 
a window box with with a flower or a bird coming to that box or whatever it is. Um, but he sums it up in he lived for many years, of course, on a farm, and um, he says, "When despair for the world grows in me, and I wake in the night at the least sound, in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water, and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives." with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water and I feel above me the day blind stars waiting with their light. For a time I rest in the grace of the world and am free. Woo, that gives me goosebumps too. <laughs> I Isn't just that a beauty? That. one of my favorite. Yeah, it's a beauty, isn't it? And uh, you yeah. know, it's something simply just goes and does something else rather than lays in bed, you know, fretting. He just gets up and, and changes his mind, uh, changes his physical location, and, and is open to receive. And so many times I've done that. And it's amazing how things change when you just literally do something different and, um, and, and open to what's available all around you. It's so true. I think one of the things that was really interesting to me and, and, and Marnie as we were writing this book is finding out that there's a lot of research actually out there about the benefits of spending time in nature. And I live in the city. And last year during COVID, one of the things my partner and I did was every weekend we would go into a beautiful place in nature somewhere out of the city. And it was so sustaining during a time in which we were pretty confined to our condominium, you know, and didn't get out very much. But that those weekend right. trips into the natural world and these these psychologists, Rachel and Stephen Kaplan, have written a lot about the benefits of restorative environments. And they're just any place outdoors that's accessible and quiet and it can be as small as a city pocket park or as small as a little area in your backyard is going to be generative and restorative. And actually there's research that shows that it diminishes our anxiety and it lessens depression. So it's very real that, that outside being out in the natural world has huge benefits for us, especially um, when so many of us are on computer screens or on handheld devices all day long, because our eyes are, tight and focused but when we go outside there's a softening of our eyes and our face and we go into a more receptive mode taking in what's outside in, in a very different way than when our minds are engaged on the computer which so is why true. we feel restored you know very well put yeah and uh, you know yeah. you're right you know there's been studies done about inner city children that have been introduced to you know nature and, and wild spaces uh, or even just parks and their whole attitude changes and um, the aggression goes down and, and uh, it, oh it's, that's you know, interesting yeah it's very it's very uh, uh, amazing to I, me that, that, that how i didn't that know is. that yeah oh i'm um, so glad to know that yeah i can't remember the exact uh, study now but uh, yeah and we we have a place in fort worth called tandy hills which is a a wild prairie in the middle of the city and uh, we have projects where we bring 
children to that and they they wander around and and learn about the plants and the animals and whatnot and it's been amazing for for those kids you know so i, I know i know this stuff works i it, another theme another word that's used is eco psychology you know the influence of um the environment on on your minds so yeah it's 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 a huge it's a huge study i think uh we, we'll yeah. we'll um we, you know we need to identify it more and, and bring more people in. I, stop the sprawl. <laughs> I, I get on my soapbox here, and this, that, that, that's not the subject of this show. But, uh, you know, I think we need to change our attitude to nature. It's not just a, a resource to oh. find or, and exploit it, right? It's, it's, some, it's sacred within itself. That it, it doesn't exist for us. It exists for itself. That's exactly right. right. But, boy, it's not the way many of us think about it. We, we 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 need to restore the sacredness of it to itself. Are yeah. you changing subjects a little bit? Are you an advocate of grief recovery groups and that? Do you think they can be effective? I know a number of people who, who go to those and get something out of it. I know others who, you know, don't want to be around people who are just endlessly talking about their grief and their sadness. I, I, it depends on the person, perhaps. Depends on the group. Well, I don't, first of all, I don't, what we do, what I co-facilitate are called bereavement groups. I don't call them grief recovery groups because I don't think we ever recover from grief. Our grief right. changes, but we don't recover. And so I, I know there's a book called the grief, I think called the grief recovery method. And I, I think that's mis, the title is misleading. Um, so I think the benefits of bereavement group depend on the person and the facilitator. And I think there are good bereavement groups and there are probably bereavement groups that aren't quite so good. But what I find in my group is that people can often finish one another's sentences. So, you know, if someone says, you know, I've, I'm, I've lost my best friend and to, after my husband died, my, my best friend seems to have disappeared. Invariably, whatever issue emerges, someone in the group or one or more will have had the same experience. And so I think one of the big benefits of this is that it normalizes grief for the participants. Whatever they're going through is invariably going to appear in the group. And it also makes people feel less alone because they know that someone else is walking the same path. And to me, that's yes. the benefit of, of a bereavement group. Having said that, I have people in my private practice who have no interest in being in a group, but I bring in frequently the group's experience. And I'll say what I've found in my bereavement groups is, so I use it, but some people just don't want to go into a bereavement group. I'm a big proponent of bereavement groups. I, I think they, they're, I, I've seen them offer enormous comfort, solace, and healing to people. But yes. it has to be well read, well run. You know, I, I the agree. person that's likely to control the group has to be held back. The people who are more reticent to speak need to be called out in gentle ways. And, you know, I mean, it really takes a skillful facilitator to lead a good group, I think. And you talk about joining together with others as well, you know, um, not just in grief recovery, not recovery, grief in bereavement groups, but also just to do things with others, right? To have some companionship, yeah. to be healing. There's, um. there's, a, there's a walking, there are walking groups in Canada 
which Marnie and I just love the idea of. People walk together. They say the name of the person who they lost, when they lost them, the date, and how they lost them. And then they walk together. And no one's giving advice. No one's making recommendations, anything. They're just walking and offering presents to each other. And they right. really, I think the concept of that, I think, is just beautiful. It's a group of sorts, but it's not focused around talking. They're just doing something together outdoors. Yeah, and I like that idea. You know, you don't have to be uh, always approaching the subject, right? It's not like we're in denial about it. It's not the elephant in the room we're not talking about. It's just sometimes you just want respite from it and That's right. do something else, right? And, um, but it's, and that can and be it's comforting to be with other people who you know are right. walking the same path. You know, you're right. walking together through your grief. You're carrying it together. As a community, one thing the um, the person last week suggested was writing, and and you also talk about that, right? The various ways you can maybe keep a yes. journal, a, grat- a gratitude list, uh, and I, I think one one of the more powerful things are letters, right? Letters you can send to your loved ones, a letter to God, maybe a, a letter somehow to yourself, even um, you unsent know, letters. Can, Right. Yeah. Yes. I, um, one one of the things that well we, we we I use letters a lot. I use unsent letters, letters that they might send to their loved one. I have people who write to their loved one every Thursday night, which is the night their partner died, and and or will write every day at the end of the day things I wish I could have told you today, and out comes a letter. And it's a way to make meaning and provide structure for your experience. And sometimes it it brings coherence to your experience as well, because these things that are rolling around with a lot of feeling in, in the process of creating language around it, you're binding it in a certain way and giving it, um, giving it a face that it sometimes doesn't have when the feelings are just swirling around. Sometimes people will say, I hear this a lot. I hear, I hear people say, "Um, I don't ever want to forget. And I say, you will forget. You will forget. So take time each day and write, I remember. And write what you remember. And then repeat the phrase, I remember and see what comes. I remember and see what comes. Because you will forget. And there's a little book by, um, I think the name of the authors are uh, Joe Brainerd and Ron Paget, And the book is called, I Remember. And the whole book is nothing but a sentence, I remember. The whole book is just these phrases. And it's a very powerful little stem for generating um, ideas and remembering your loved one. And, and actually, in remembering, you're spending time with them in a certain way. You know, it's, it's kind of a beautiful way to be, to be quiet with somebody you've loved and lost. I think the, uh, the the motto of of the state uh, province of Quebec in Canada is uh, I I will remember um, in of course in French, but uh, you know I think uh, the the Jews also say you know we we will not forget, and I think there's power in that right the, the, in forgetfulness we yeah. can do so you know we can allow things to happen again. Um, 
and this never again idea oh, is yes. powerful, right? Because we're, yes. we're remembering that uh, you know this this wasn't an illusion, um, and and so yeah, it, we we have to hold to that. And it's so it's so easy to forget. I mean, human beings tend to forget what happened five minutes ago. That's our nature. Uh, that life is a, a, is but a dream, you know, as the Buddha said, and and uh, the popular song, "Row, row your boat, life is but a dream." But uh, you know, to re- remember is powerful. I agree. Um, I, remember remember in, a, in a healthful way, right? Not not just yes. in, I'm remembering because I'm holding a grudge or whatever. Right. No, remembering shared times. One of the things that I've had people do is to write what they remember that they want to carry forth in their life now. What What do you remember from COVID that you want to bring forth? Right. And ha- instead of just returning to life as it was, Without bringing back what what we learned, what did we learn then that we want to bring forward so that our lives are different as a result of having gone through the grief and the suffering that COVID opened up in us? And because we're not about, the same. Talk, we're not the same. Um, you talk about the personal story, right? And, and in New Thought, we, we have a a negative aspect of a story, you know, or, you know, you're stuck in your story, but, but a story is a powerful thing. And we mentioned this last week too, you know, the, the whole Bible is filled with wonderful stories, right. That reveal deep truths. And we have a personal story also that can reveal our own personal truth can be helpful for us and others perhaps. Um, that's, but, that's and that's right. what we're talking about, right? Uh, what we went through and are going through still is valid. It's it's real. It's it's who we are. It's what made us who we are, and we carry that loved one with us in in that story too. So they're still alive in that. It's it's like the you know the stories that the Native Americans tell that that keep about the ancestors that keep the ancestors alive, and it it's powerful for the the community. And I I, th- I think that's very valid. And also, I think um, stories change, <laughs> you know, as our memory changes, as we remember yes. stories, they, good, they good shape point. and they morph as we grow. We, we hold the stories differently. We hold events differently. I used to have a, a writing teacher, a journal writing teacher who said, who had all these exercises she would go through on, on, January, on, on December 30th at, at, at at the edge of the new year, just as a little ritual. And right. they would, she would write the same stories, but she would be writing them from a different voice because her life had shaped the story mm. into a different ending or a different oh, meaning yeah. or a different structure. Because most of our stories don't stay, they don't stay rigid. They morph and change and open. Well, if you ever go back to a place that you loved, perhaps, you know, you'd been on vacation. Well, there or, you go. Or a childhood yeah. place. And that's right. you see it again and you think, wait a minute, this is totally different from the way I remember it. That's right. And, that's right. You know, it's amazing because you had a particular story about it at the time. And then you get to chan- get a chance to make that story a, a, a little different now, you know. That's or right. I, I that's missed ex- something, you know, I only saw part of what was going on. And uh, That's right. Yeah, endless, endlessly unfolding. Um, we're getting towards the end of the show. Let me tell you, the, the folks about next week's show, and then we've got to have a minute or so to, to say something we haven't mentioned yet. Um, next week, author and grief recovery specialist Christy Hugstad joins me, and uh, she's going to complete our series looking at grief and transition, and we'll look at her book. It's called 
be you only better real life self-care for young adults she specializes in in suicides and young in young adults but also for everyone else so that's next week uh, but what haven't we covered today claire that you would like to c- cover in the last couple of minutes um i think um i would sort of like to go back to where i started um which is um, I, I find that people often are impatient with their grief. They want it over with. They want to get through it faster than they're going through it. And I think I would want to close by just remembering, reminding people that grief is just love with no place to go and that we don't want to get over it. We want to strengthen our ability to carry it and let it shape our lives. Yes. It sort of links in with the, um, the acronym you have here around self-compassion co- called RAIN. I've not come across it before, but I like it. Um, it's recognize, allow, um, investigate, and nourish. Um, yes. It's our ways of looking, right? Um, yes. Rec- recognizing what's going on um, and allowing it, not trying to deny it, um, but also to investigate it. You know, how real is it for me right now? What What can I do with it? Uh, and, and, and allow it to nourish us rather than be a barrier for us or a, a problem for us. I, I kind of yeah. like that acronym. acronym. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, a commonly used Buddhist practice for being with right. difficult feelings. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thank like you for it. linking those. I, I like yeah. that you link those together. Yeah. 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 Well, we've had a wonderful show. Thank you so much, Claire, for being with us today and, and giving us your unique viewpoints on, on these important themes. It's been very good. Thank you so much for having me. I've loved talking to you. It's been fun. And if you want to get hold of the book, folks, it's uh, published in all the usual outlets. I'm sure it's available on Amazon. If, if people want to get in touch with you personally, Claire, do you have a website or opening to opening to grief.com right good okay and and as i say there's wonderful um inspirational things in the back of the book too it makes make it valuable as well a lot of resources so thanks for tuning in to this uh, this show and all the other shows on unity online radio uh the voice of an awakening world my new book is coming out in the fall it's uh unity and world religions i I hope that you'll be able to get a copy of that. I'm excited that it's coming out, uh, published by Unity Books. And uh, thanks again. And thanks, Claire. Uh, Be well. Thank you so much. Bye-bye now, folks. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash divine 2022 